My name's Adele Onyango and welcome to another episode of Legally Clueless. No, seriously, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. Hey you, welcome to episode 195 of Legally Clueless. Thank you so much for rocking with this podcast. A special thank you since the internet is ablaze with Spotify wrapped and people are just sharing the music they've been listening to, the podcast they've been listening to. Quite a few people have been tagging me in their posts listening to this podcast. I truly appreciate you. If you're just stumbling on our happy little family, audio episodes like this, this God every single Monday and if you go to legallycluelessafrica.com you can catch up on our over 190 episodes you can watch our video series you can come along with us as we toured Kenya as we toured Zimbabwe Paris and Dubai. All of that is on legallycluelessafrica.com. Coming up in this podcast is a story about lessons from a funeral, from grief, from a lived life. Listen to this. And I went to my mother's room. I sat on her makeup table. On her makeup table, it, there was makeup, all these things for the rosary. And I just sat there and I cried. And loudly, like I can't even imagine. She said, in luo, dipedoma bear. Uh, it will be fine. So sometimes I sit back and ask, can this people tell me who should I go to also? Because uh, <sighs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's hard trying to trying to be there for everyone else. And question is, who is there for you? Like, we had beautiful memories. My mom loved fashion, as in she she believed I had to send for her foundation and she knew the ones sold in Homa are fake. <laughs> that is Zippy's story. Zippy quickly became one of my favorite people. I randomly met her at a dinner and just fell in love with her energy. So her story is coming up a little later in this episode and I think there's a lot to take from it. But before we get there, the song of the week. This week, I feel like I've shared this song before, but I really love it and I'd forgotten about it for maybe even like two years. And then this week, I was listening to a particular playlist I have that is, it's called Writing Block. And I play it when I'm trying to jumpstart my poetry. And this song is, I think, the second song in that playlist because I love Mereba so much. And the name of the song is Planet You. It's so sweet. <laughs> you know me, I'm a mushy, mushy person. <laughs> sucker for love. Yeah, I really like this song and so I'd like you to check it out. Hopefully you like it as well. So a bit of a quick catch up before we get into the story. I don't want to speak too much in this episode. One, because I spoke a lot in the last episode <laughs> and two, Zippy stories is very long. I didn't want to split it, so I don't want this to be an overwhelmingly long episode for you. But I do want to celebrate that we've made it to the end of the year. We've made it to the final month. Hey, 2022! What a year! I was on a phone call earlier today with three of my girlfriends. We haven't really been talking much this year just because we were all going through a lot of shifts, a lot of huge life changes. Then we regrouped at the end of the year. <laughs> and, you know, one is in Scotland, 
One is in Australia, I'm here, and another is also in Kenya. And so it was just like a moment for us to be like, way, we made it through the year. It was tough, but it was a necessary year. I don't know if it's the same for you. A lot of challenges, a lot of lessons, a lot of growing up. (laughs) And I think there was a point in the year where I was just so jaded and I was just so over it. I was over life. I was just like super down. And I just kept saying this is the worst year of my life, blah, blah. But now I'm just like, mm, no, it ain't. <laughs> yes, there's some shit that happened, but also some dope stuff happened. I achieved quite a, a quite a lot of things that I never, I launched my book. Like, what the hell? <laughs> I traveled quite a bit. And got to perform on stages in Nairobi, outside of Kenya. Like, when we look back on years, sometimes we can go through, like, one tough thing and we make the entire year about that thing. Yet there was, like, beautiful things that happened or even just really necessary lessons you had to go through a lot of wake-up calls and those are good things you know so even as we look back on the year and we acknowledge the challenges let's not destroy the legacy of 2022 by saying it was a completely shit year I think I did that and now I'm just like "Mm, I take that back I take that all the way back but December is here I'm really happy I'm settling into my new house and I don't know just acknowledging that I deserve this space I think I haven't done much in terms of like decor and deciding on colors because I'm just like is this a dream (laughs) am I gonna be woken up and told to get the heck out of here so December is for settling in I also have three rooms full of clothes I think I might have a shopping problem but I'm working on it. So in December, I want to just like go through all those clothes and I need to give out some of the clothes. They are not children home friendly. They're for women and people who identify as women who are possibly between the ages of like 20 and let's say 40 or 30. I'm a size eight. The clothes range from size six to eight to ten. And so I'm trying to figure out are there organizations I can give these clothes to so that deal with, you know, people in that bracket? Are there women-led thrift stores that I can possibly give these clothes to? Because honestly, some of them, I just it's so embarrassing saying this. Some of them I bought and I never wore, which is so colorless and just ridiculous of me and just shameful but it means that they're in pretty good condition so I can you know give them to maybe women-led stores yeah so if you have any ideas on organizations or how I can you know not let the clothes go to waste I do know these organizations that repurpose used clothes into new clothes so that's also a sustainable option I'm open to but hey if you have ideas let me know on Twitter we're at Legally Clueless Africa you can just DM us and it will get to me yes and when I say us I do mean us because the team is growing and I'm super proud of that we are currently onboarding new people, registering the entire business. Like, I just feel like a (laughs) grown-up. I feel like a 
a grown-up and it feels so good. Anyway, another thing I hope is that last week's episode, the last episode, was something that you found value in, you connected with. You know, I was trying to cut promos for it and I think I didn't I didn't cut as many promos as I do normally because I was you know here I can be super vulnerable and it's like a safe space for me but like social media is just strange so I'm kind of like protecting myself but here I can just say and you know do whatever (laughs) but you know I just I hope that episode you took something from it that helped you and if you didn't that's also okay but speaking of social media being wild because like as I'm recording this, my socials, I'm just getting like a lot of, what are they called? Notifications. So I really love rainbow socks. I find them fun. They're so colorful. They just put me in a good mood. And I found a store, Miniso, if you're in Nairobi, stocks them. So I buy them like in bulk. (laughs) And they just brighten up outfits. So I wear a lot of like black tights. And when I pair them with like rainbow socks, it just is a look that I love. And so I put up a photo on my Facebook of my orange tree that I just planted. And a bit of my foot was in the photo and my rainbow socks were there. Being a normal, mature being, I didn't think much of it. But let me tell you, I feel like all the ignorance in Kenya is born and bred on Facebook. And sometimes I go through my comments just to laugh because it's strange. And so now this had like tons of men are commenting and they're so angry because first they've decided I'm lesbian because of my socks, which is such an adult thing to do. That's one. And then two, I don't understand the anger. Because I'm also like, dude, okay, let's say I was lesbian. Why are you angry as though I have messed up me and you being together? Or like, I don't understand. (laughs) Someone needs to make it make sense. But you see, these are the reasons why I will be 100% vulnerable on here. But social media, unless it's Instagram, I just, I just wouldn't. Because hey, Facebook is (laughs) trash. Facebook is strange. And you know what's also very strange as well? It's like some of the dudes aren't commenting the word lesbian. They're using the word Lebanese, which I'm just like, why can't you? But we're grown-ups, you know? (laughs) It's strange. It is so strange. Anyway, away from the strangeness, let's get a bit of inspiration from Zippy's story. And as I said earlier, her story really centers on lessons from a funeral, lessons from grief, and lessons from a life fully lived a hundred african stories on legally clueless stories from africa so my mom is dorcas anyango lali and she passed away on the 3rd of august 2021 afterward i can't even call it a short illness it was a sudden illness like she was okay on friday saturday we had she was sick stomach ache then she was taken for tests and then an ultrasound, nothing. On uh, Sunday, the same, they gave her antibiotics, but the doctors said nothing. The, the ultrasound was negative. They couldn't see anything. On Monday, I repeat, she was like, it is increasing so, so much. But then the doctor gave her even like now stronger painkillers because he said, we can't see anything, but I gave you antibiotics on Sunday and the ultrasound is clear again, three days consistent. You don't understand what's happening. But on that Monday, when we talked in the morning, she said, I'll be fine. Just pray for me that she'll like, ah, mama, 
your voice is sounding so distant. She's like, eh, you are so worrisome. I'll be fine. Then I said, okay. But something strange happened. I decided to send my dad money instead of sending my mother. I, I always sent my mom money because we always thought money heal, heals her pain. <laughs> so I looked at what I had on the phone and I sent to my dad instead of my mom. And I don't know why, but it had never happened that instead of her, I sent to the other side. And I called my dad and I said, ah, it's okay. We are trying all we can. She's not even admitted. She was like just going uh, to the hospital and going back home. So on that afternoon, after she had gone home, she slept, she slept. And then she called a friend of hers and told her friend, please call the priest and tell him to come and see me. And the friend called the priest. And the priest said, hey, right now I'm from a mission. I'm so tired, let me see her tomorrow. And the priest called her to tell her that. Then she told the priest, if you come tomorrow, you will not find me. My sister was at home and the priest came and knocked the gate. Our gate is like a while from, from where the house is. I think it's around 100 meters from where the house is. So there was no power. And so when he rang the bell, no one could hear. But then my mom woke up from the bedroom and told my sister, the priest is at the gate, go open. And they were like, no one has knocked. And they said, go and open. And when my sister went to open the gate, they found the priest just making a U-turn to go. And they called the priest in. And that moment they prayed and my sister says, then they just remember the praying and my mom like feeling very happy and jovial and relaxed. And we talked that night and the following day in the morning, Tuesday morning, I called my sister and asked, how is mama feeling right now? She's like, she's fine. She's just waking up. She's taking some Weetabix. She's going for a shower. Then we are thinking we'd take her to the hospital again. But tonight she kind of like slept more peacefully. In a span of 10 minutes, my sister called again and said, she's in the bathroom. But she is not talking. And at that point, I asked ask her, is she dead? What do you mean she's not talking? She said, in Ilo, they say, doge omoko. And they, I, at that point, I just started crying. I was on my way to Kenyatta University. I had very early morning classes, like at 8 a.m. So that time, I was around Riscos, Ngong Riscos. And at that very moment, I felt like, oh no, I have to go home like now for reasons I don't understand. Up to now, I asked myself, why didn't I even plan that sudden journey? the previous day. So I called Jumbo Jet immediately <laughs> and I asked them, is there a flight? Can I book? They're like, no, you can't book online. If you want a flight right now, you just come and the one you find, you will get in. Like it's, I said, okay, let me start driving towards the airport. And I drove. When I reached like Olesurini, like 25 minutes later, it is my dad's driver who now called me. And before he said anything, I said, don't tell me my mom is dead. Another moment, I slowed down and I felt an emptiness. Luckily, at that moment, a friend was shooting along Mombasa Road and I called him. He told me to just stop where I was and he sent me a driver who came, picked me. I went to where he was and he took me home. I called all my sisters and brothers who were in Nairobi and told them we are leaving now to go home. If anyone is ready to leave, we are leaving in the next one hour. And we left and we went home and home felt different. Home felt sad. It felt felt silent it felt there's no welcome but we buried my mother in exactly seven days she died on third we buried her on tenth i started thinking about the things that she had told us from the year before up to her time of death i realized my mom had been planning her death because 
she had planned so, so much. She had planned so, so much. The last time we had been with her, she took us to her bedroom and she told us, oh, you know, these, um, the, the, these dishes, you know, these things for catering. Ah, when I die, you take them. You like cooking, you take them. Sally, Sally's my sister. You will take these ones. Uh, and my clothes, you can give them to my sisters. Yeah. And she told her, mm, Kwani, where are you going? And I was like, I know, I'm just talking. You know, death is not something to be feared. That's a year before. This same saved me around me. She tells me, oh, you know, uh, this boy whom we have lived with for so long, even if I die right now, you can't leave him. You have to pay for him to finish his course. I was like, mm, mama, you are the richest woman I know. Where are you going? <laughs> I was like, no, I'm just saying that is not something to be feared. It's just good to talk about these things. And uh, she did, she kept talking about her death like that. Like, I'm when I die, when I die, do this, when I die, do that to all of us, you know, and uh, even her investments. My mom was rich. By all means and standards, my mom was very rich. <laughs> she was a business person. She was a teacher by profession. She had done all businesses that there were. She had opened a secretarial course. She had done um, business for plastics, like getting them from warehouse and taking them to all markets. She had done food business. And then she built four-story apartment. And uh, in that four-story apartment for, I think... Uh, you can say 10 years. It was a club downstairs and upstairs were offices. Actually, even one of my father's offices are like in one of the rooms. Around 2019, she said she was tired of operating this club business. So she partitioned that one and it was rented out by a gym, a radio station and all. So she said, even that building, I that one is for my grandchildren. You, my children... I want you to guys to be together. When I die, people will come from all over and welcome them all. And she kept saying that. And truly, when my mother died, people came from all over. And I say all over, I mean from, from like, how do I call it? From the sweeper to the executive. One of the things that I learned about my mother's death is be selfless, to be very selfless. My mother was a giver. We thought we knew our mother as a giver. But the testimonies that were coming during the seven days of her funeral, I think she was a saint. I remember there are people who came and uh, they would come and say, I just had to talk to you. I know you don't know me. Even your family doesn't know me. But one day I was standing in front of the bank and your mother asked me what was wrong with me. And I told her, my daughter has been called to high school and I don't have 15,000 that they need. My mother went to the ATM, gave that woman 15,000, a woman she didn't know. And that woman came to the funeral just to give that testimony. But that is not all. My mother was educating over, I think at that moment, over 10 children. <laughs> and here we are, sometimes we thought she was broke. <laughs> so we look at her and we're like, where was she getting all this money? But then we realized we never lacked. As we were growing up, we never lacked anything. There were times when my mother could be broke, my dad could be broke. But then people could come and bring just food. Like, oh, I was passing by. I came to this town, Oma Bay, and I decided to just bring for you this maize. I decided to bring for you uh, these beans and anything. And my mom was like being given and she distributes. And that was her. She was called Dorcas. And if we say anything, I always say, your name, you live according to your name. Yeah, your name is who you are. Dorcas in the Bible is this woman who used to give. Uh, make for children uh, clothes. My mom used to make for children clothes to be brought to Tumaini children's home here in Madare three times every year. She used to know how to make clothes. So she could put them in a sack and they could be brought to Madare. And now when that priest heard that she was gone, 
we didn't tell to know what to do. I also learned during my mother's death is faith. My mother used to say, God loves me so much that if I am to die, he will not allow me to suffer. God will not allow me like to be bedridden, like to be taken where, you know, until all the money that I have made for my generations to be over. And I think that is exactly what happened to her. Like three days of illness, then she went. She went in the most peaceful way, according to my father's words. She didn't struggle to die. Like at that moment of her death, she called my father and my sister, and he le uh, she leaned her head on my dad, and she breathed three times, like someone who's just getting into deep sleep. She didn't struggle with death. Really. You know, sometimes we see in movies, you know, people like fighting, fighting. No, she... She just breathed her last. And that's exactly what happened to her. But one thing that came out very clearly was my mother lived her life in the church so, so much. We don't even know when or how because she was all over the place. <laughs> but every day of those days of the funeral and even after the funeral, let me say for the 10 days from the day my mother died, we had a priest coming to give a sermon in our home, a different one. Not the same one. And even on the day that she was being buried, even the bishop was supposed to come, but then another priest passed on. And so we had 14 priests in the compound. Out of their own accord, they came and they all wanted to say something. And I looked at this and I wondered, how can just a mere woman to ask the children, a mere mother, <laughs> be buried by 14 priests? In my mother's funeral, there was no politics. And we made it very clear. Like I can tell you, we did not even give one person a chance to greet the people as a politician. It was very intentional. It didn't go well with some people, but it was very intentional. Because we said she was already a member of Divine Mercy in Catholic Church, Catholic Women Association. All these priests are here and it's COVID-19 protocols being put here again. We don't want politics. We planned for 500 people. I think according to the number of the chairs, we all the 1,700 chairs were sat on. And we had more people standing. And the burial was on a Tuesday, not on a Wednesday market day or on a Saturday. And we sit here wondering, maybe there were even 3,000 people. We couldn't control it. But we had told the chief and the police that we are planning for 500, but we cannot control the people. What we're going to do, we are not going to have the main funeral service in the compound, but we cannot control the people. So it's you guys to find a way to control the people because our mother was larger than life. When we went to the town center to get anything, everyone who saw us gave us free, free stuff. Like, oh, your mother, your mother was my customer. Take this, take this, I'm coming. And we planned the burial within one week. If you know Lugo customs, it's always three weeks, even two months. In one week, from Thursday, everyone asks us, where are you going to get the money? How will you, that is not even enough time to do a harambe. We're like, I think we will just see how it goes. Because even my dad said, the longer it takes, the long, the harder it gets to mourn somebody. So let us bury her and then we can continue mourning in our own way. Each day of the funeral in our home, we had at least 100 people, minimum. And we fed everyone and we collected enough money to bury her well, like people give. So one thing I look back and I said, in what they say, she buried herself, like from her own givings, everybody came out to give. Everybody came out to give. People brought grains, uh, sheep, 
goats. People offered, like I'll do, uh, like the, the Divine Mercy group decided they'll do the dress. Uh, Catholic women said they'll they'll do the, like, uh, what's it, what is it called? Uh, the mortuary. My boyfriend said they'll do the coffee. <laughs> Other groups of in-laws, as in people gave and gave and gave. We look at all these and we said everything was so selfless. But on my side, I have friends who really gave. But I was touched by people who I have supported in small ways. One said, I don't have much, but I'll send you a hundred. And I wanted to say no, because I know this person's situation. But then, you know, you sit back and say, why should I stop this person from getting their blessing of giving also, you know? And I had people sending even a hundred shillings to me, 300 shillings to me. And these people who didn't know my mother, it's because on their side, I've also given. And for me, this touched me because I was like, if this person can give the little they have at such a moment when no one is forcing them to, I felt a sense of humanity. Then I felt the power of family. During my mother's funeral, I felt the power of family. You know, sometimes I look back and I say, maybe I should have more children. <laughs> we are seven children. I am the firstborn. Then we have my brother Kabaka, my sister Sally. Sally is the one who was there with my mom when she was dying. Then we have my, my brother also, Shikuku, uh, sister, uh, Sheila, and Winnie. We are seven children, and I have never seen us together like that moment. We were together, like we stood together tight as children of Dorcas. We divided the duties, and everyone was in charge of something, and everyone did their part, like my mom was the one who was instructing us. <laughs> my mom was always a very strict person. Like, <laughs> if she says it this way, and then if she says, put that chair like this, you will put it like that without thinking, why, why is it supposed to be like that? As I grew up, I am also that type. I like things being done <laughs> in a certain way. And sometimes it put me at logheads, even with my own mom. And we could like, agree to disagree and and everybody knew when danny and mama agree to disagree it is hell on earth <laughs> so we could disagree about things about decisions but at the end of the day I, I don't think any day we could disagree and even like sleep over it because both of us are also very emotional people so we, we can't just stand imagining what the other person is thinking about me from that conversation so <laughs> One of us will call <laughs> and uh, just say, okay, it's okay, it's okay, let's do it this way. And and it was like that for a long time, it was like that for a long time. And so during the funeral, it felt like she was talking to each of us to do things her way because she had told us that everything will be fine. You know, funnily enough, the past one year before her death, she kept talking about it, but when someone talks about her death and you are not imagining that she will die soon because she's not sick, then let me say you become legally clueless <laughs> on how soon that is. And so when that happened, each of us, we had a feeling like, oh, she wanted this, mama said this, mama said this. Because uh, it's very funny when we were with her some time back, she said, Sally is the one who has lived with me the longest here in the house. So when I die, she will give my Neno. Neno is a eulogy. 
Yeah, she's the one who'll give my eulogy. And so even uh, during the funeral, like, oh, Sally, you know, mom had said you'll give her eulogy. So that is sorted. Yeah, it was like that. We gave everyone, like, ah, oh, Winnie, you're the designer. You know, you do this graphic design and stuff. Can you just do the program and stuff? You know, everything was like divided. Akuku is the designer. Go and confirm is the dress that's been made for mama is up to task. And uh, for Zippy, I think I'm the event organizer. I never left that compound for the seven days. I'm not talking that compound. I never left my mom's compound for the seven days. Because it was just like, you wake up, Danny, 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 they call me Danny at home. And it was like, you're here, you're here, you're here, everyone, and you have to greet everyone. And, and it was just like that. I look at my father, who is the as emotional as I am. And sometimes we could sit down and we could wonder how come we are feeling stronger than we have never felt. During the seven days, I could sometimes hear her voice. <laughs> I always say I'm a very spiritual person and, and I could hear her voice so, so clear like, like she is here. Whenever there's a day, I think on, uh, on Friday, I looked at the budget. <laughs> the committee had set and i looked at my own account because from the collections there was zero and i felt weak and i went to my mother's room i sat on her makeup table on her makeup table it, there was makeup uh, these things for the rosary and i just sat there and i cried and loudly like i can't even imagine she said in luo bear it will be fine Relax. Do you know two hours after that, people started sending money. Imagine, like, I, I saw that and I was like, what exactly? <laughs> people started sending money. Adele, in three days, we raised money more than our budget because of community, because of family togetherness, because of friendships, because of selflessness, because uh, of faith. And these are things that my mother used to talk about so, so much. My mother was a member of Border Border Association. She doesn't own a Border Border. My mother was a member of Arrowroot Sellers. She doesn't even know how Arrowroots are farmed. She was a member of Fish Sellers. Yes, she did fish business, that one. Homer Bay business people. My mother was a member of any group that she was called to be a member of. And surprisingly, all these people came they contributed for her. And they said she used to attend all meetings. I said, okay, I can't even attend five meetings in a week. How? No, she could come and contribute and attend and all that. And you look at that and you ask yourself, what are we busy doing if we are not busy creating relationships? And uh, Adele, I look at my life right now. One of the things I'm learning is to say no because... Um, Saying yes too much can break somebody, but also just being there for people. And being there does not really mean money. Sometimes somebody just needs time. And nowadays, because we have phone calls, somebody just needs time to call. And if we're going to talk on the phone for one hour, it is okay. And I think as people, we need to learn that. People, I mean, the, the description of my mother was like, she was a mother to us all. She was my chief advisor is gone. This is my friend, my best, best friend, my prayer partner, my business advisor, my best customer. And I look at all that and I wonder, which one am I? 
And, and one thing I think uh, I, I told myself, I, I don't even want to try to be even what she was because people kept asking, who among us two is going to be like your mother? And I remember during, um, during the funeral, I told them, none of us will be like our mother and none of us can be like our mother because our mother's selfless giving was not normal. It was, it needed grace. It needed grace. It takes a certain level of grace to give so much to strangers. It is normal to give a hundred, five hundred, a thousand, you know, to strangers. But to give 15,000, 20,000 to a stranger, it, especially for us in Nairobi, we feel conned. <laughs> we feel really conned. We ask, what am I getting in return? And all that kind of stuff. So for us, I feel like has needed grace. It needs grace. A lot of my brothers and sisters, we are, we are very generous. We are very selfless. And these are things we, I think, picked from both my mom and my dad. My parents are well off but very selfless. Our gates from the time we were very young was open to anyone. Anyone like, when I mean anyone, I mean a mad person can walk in and they get tea. Like mad. I mean like somebody who's wearing torn and literally like insane. And they will sit near the gate and they will be given tea. We knew that in our family, we were like the seven children, but we lived with like five other cousins and I don't know how many other aunts. And every day we had at least three or four visitors. So breakfast was a big meal. And the one thing that was so significant the last time I went home, a month, exactly a month after her funeral, was the breakfast table was empty. Because we were so used to my mom's breakfast table. My mom has the biggest dining table. <laughs> And it was always full of like, there was tea, there was porridge, there was maybe some avocado or mango juice. There would be like bread, uh, maybe nduma or potatoes or maybe even beans. So the day I went and I saw there was tea and bread only. I cried. <laughs> and then I cried. I'm like, in my mother's house, it was like heaven. Like she had so, so much. And she gave so, so much. And she got so, so much in return. And I look at back and I say, I, people ask me to be, to, to sit, put myself in her shoes. But I can't. I can't because I'm not her. I believe she is living in me. And I still have my path. And my sisters and brothers have their paths. And sometimes one thing I get people don't realize is that if my mother was helping many people, it is not us to sit in and help people. People need to realize that her children have also lost a parent and she was doing equally much to her children. So sometimes I sit back and ask, can this people tell me who should I go to also? Because... Uh, <laughs> Just a moment. <sighs> Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's hard trying to trying to be there for everyone else, and question is who is there for you? Yeah, like I mean, when people come, they're like, oh, you guys should be there for your dad. You guys should be there for you know. Oh, now she was doing this, you do that. Question is, who is there for me? Yeah, and that's a question. I think my children have been affected maybe because of my morning. Because sometimes I just break. I just I just break for no apparent reason. Like no trigger, no nothing. Like it's just a flash of a memory and I'm crying. And 
And I, I can't help it. I can't help it. The day before my mother died, I put a post on Facebook. <laughs> and these are posts, I mean, when you look at Facebook memories, I think almost every year I realized I have put such a post on, like my mother says, it's better to be overdressed than to be underdressed. And trust me, she had enough stories about it. it's better to be overdressed than underdressed. <laughs> How one day she thought they were just going for a drink with my dad and she just picked a dress and put it on top. When she didn't think everyone was dressed, she was like, she has never felt so out of place. So sometimes when I go somewhere and guys are like, hey, Zippy, your dress is so much color. I'm like, huh, it's better to be overdressed. <laughs> I think looking at that statement, it's really not just about dressing. It's about always be ready. And on that post on that day on Facebook, I said, always be ready. It was very unconscious. And looking back, I'm like, maybe there was that unconscious feeling in my mind. But my mother taught us a lot of things. It's better to, yes, to be overdressed than underdressed. Uh, you should always wear brighter lipstick because oh, darker lipstick makes you look older. <laughs> you should stop wearing very flat shoes because it makes you walk like a duck. <laughs> her, her teachings were... Out of the ordinary. Uh, let me say, when she was a young, uh, a young girl, before she got married, uh, you know Taifa Leo? Uh, they always have a uh, key in it. Mrembo Wetua Leo. She was featured in Mrembo Wetua Leo in, uh, during those, those many years ago, before she met my dad. And then, so she, she's, uh, she was a Nairobi girl who fell in love with this village boy. <laughs> my dad and decided to go and make it to the village and she truly made it my heart my mom was very blessed like her hands everything she touched trust me flourished and when i say everything it means her businesses anyone who worked for my mother and left became a businessman a good businessman and they kept coming back to my mom show us this and she would show them because i think to her any person who worked for her she used to like teach them teach them the art of doing business and when you say you want to grow She's like, oh, it's okay. She could even give her employees a loan, you know, to do this. And somebody goes and does that and comes back and says thank you and she employs somebody else. So I think she was she was generally a teacher even after stopping to be uh, to teach in class. That, I think, has inspired me. One thing, I have always been very scared of taking loans in my whole life. But my mother was a member of Kenya Women. Uh, chamas, circles, and countless. And whenever I needed money, I say, hey, Mama, uh, can you take for me alone? I'll pay you. Do you know, after my mother died for the first time, I took a loan in my name. Because now I felt like I didn't have anyone else, but I have to. And I was extremely, extremely scared. I don't even know what I'm scared of. <laughs> but she kept saying, you cannot grow without a loan. As long as you're disciplined to pay it back, you need a loan so that you can be able to grow. Especially in business, you can't make it without that loan. So that is what has happened to me. I'm, I'm finding myself getting some courage out of her lessons that I had never had before. Believing that God exists, but I have still found it hard to go to church up to now. Because, um, I don't know, I felt like it wasn't time. It wasn't time. Yeah, and so I, I pray a lot but I've been defeated. You know, like, you're blaming God, <laughs> but you still believe God as an answer. It's, uh, it, it, it's, hard. It, it's hard for someone to understand. Like, yes, I'm not going to church, but I'm praying. I, I, I feel like, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like just telling God why and, and, and you know, you know, beating God's chest. Like, 
But then, I mean, sometimes I have friends who call me and they pray for me, with me. And but I, I don't know. I still feel God didn't prepare me for this because it was so sudden. We had plans. We had, we had a lot of plans. <laughs> My brother's wedding, which we were planning like, oh, that was like my mother's wedding. Because uh, these girls of hers somehow <laughs> have refused to do a wedding. <laughs> so her son <laughs> has decided to do a wedding. Trust me, she took it upon her role. She wanted to do anything she can to make that wedding beautiful. And so here we are. The wedding will take place. We, we, we just have to do it. We know we will not do it to her standards, but <laughs> but we will do it the best way we know how. There are things that happened to me right before my mother died. For a long time, my mother was my next of kin in almost every place. And the month before she died, I went to start changing. Like I needed to like change some other names from my list of next of kin. And not to remove my mother, but just to like change the names. <laughs> So I needed to clear that past. I feel like I'm going through a new phase. Yes, I was divorced. Now I'm moving in to a, a totally new phase of my life. And I wanted to clear all these things. Like who are my next of kings and my place of work and stuff. Because anything can happen. I don't know why I started having this kind of, of a fear of anything can happen. So when I went to remove those names, I put my mother's name, I remember. And then I told this lady, no, give me another one. I need to put this. She was like, why? I've put my mother's name, but I'm just thinking... She's at home. This is Nairobi. I mean, in case anything happens to me, she can't come to claim it. And the lady said, okay. So I took it and I put different names. And now I ask myself, why? Yeah, is it that I had that feeling that she was never going to be there? Is it that it was preparing me psychologically for that absence? And exactly the week before, we talked for really long, for about one hour. She talked to the kids. And I told her, when, when they close, we are coming. And she's like... Ah, it is okay. It's not a must. I mean, as we're just here. But you know, if you're busy, just send money. <laughs> My mother loved money. <laughs> and uh, I, I look at all the lessons, all those moments that we talked about, and even on the phone preparing me on these roles who I should be paying school fees for when I die, pay for this person because school fees. When I die, I take this and give this. So when I die, I have done this. As in, she gave me tidbits of when she dies. I think the last three months, it was a question of when I die. And I kept telling her, where are you going? You're the richest person I know. And up to right now, I wonder, is it that she knew? Is it that, like, did she have an illness none of us knew? Like, you know, a long-term illness. Because, yes, my mom had diabetes. But she didn't die of COVID because they tested COVID. They tested stomach cake. And now we're like, okay, which one is it? It is those unanswered questions that make me ask. If God was to take somebody in my life at that time, I think they picked the wrong time. Because um, I lost my son in 2011. And it took me, um, I think, seven, eight years to, to like truly accept. And just after that now again. And uh, it's hard. It's it's very hard. There are things that someone cannot tell you when your mother dies. And maybe people should just get this straight. <laughs> you don't know the pain someone is going through. Even as brothers and sisters. My relationship with my mother, my brother's relationship with my mother, each of us relationship with my mother was different. So it is, it is okay to say, I am sad with you. 
Zippy, I feel your pain. It is okay to say, I've been through this, you know, so that somebody can feel that compassion. But somebody cannot say, I know exactly what you are going through because they don't know. Even my own sister doesn't know. It is not okay to lie that I will be there for you. <laughs> don't lie. You will not be there for me because the problem is, even if you want to, you can't be there for me at night when I'm crying, during the day when I'm driving, when I'm driving along race course and I remember that morning phone call and I just break in the traffic, you will not be there for me that time. You will not be there for me when I go home and uh, now there's no one to get for me fish. You will not be there, you know. Someone to walk with around the market, get the best fish, the best groundnuts. You know, you will not be there. Like she knew, I don't like Nairobi groundnuts. I find they're just harder than life. I don't understand why they're so hard. When, and she could get like, you know, four gorogoros. Four gorogoros are like eight kgs. Yeah. And send them to me. And, uh, you know, I fry my groundnuts and eat them. And they're nice and tasty and crunchy. No one can have that sacrifice to just decide to put for me fish on easy coach. You know, and just call me just to say, how are you? Yeah. And you ask, you know, in the morning, hey, something, something happened. Why are you calling so early? You know, you know, I just missed you. And she'll be like, you scared me. Can't you just wait until 9 a.m., you know? <laughs> like, we had beautiful memories. My mom loved fashion. Ooh, as in, she she believed I had to send for her foundation and she knew the ones sold in Homabay are fake. <laughs> So I have to get for her foundation from Nairobi. I have to get for her lipsticks that last the whole day from Nairobi. And and we we had to just buy for her vitenges, which she could make alone or give a fundi to make for her shoes and all. She had many dreams. If if somebody like says, uh, like I hear many people say, I wish I did for my mother this when she was alive. Trust me. I don't think there's anything else we could have done for her. Like even when she was well, well, like we shared moments. My mother loved parties. She loved visitors. Adele, you could pop into Homer Bay and you tell me you remember, I tell you, go see my mom and she could get into her kitchen and prepare for you like a full meal when you talk about a full meal we mean there will be like fish and meat not just meat only and ugali and burger like it's like a buffet <laughs> in her house any time and by the way it was known all, all over that at mama Denise there's always a buffet when people hear there'll be prayers at mama Denise it's like everyone will come because they know ah there'll be very nice mandazis there it's not gideri and tea it's gideri mandazi bread and thick tea and she used to do that selflessly. It was not about her being given back. And right now, we miss her. We, but we still hear her voice. I still hear her voice, like, very loud. Yeah. A moment. I hear, I hear her voice. The one thing that's hardest for me is my children, it's hard for them to understand that she's gone forever. But they're coming to terms with death. The younger one, if right now I say I have a stomachache, she gets scared that I'm going to die. Personally, <laughs> I am scared every time of what if I die? What will happen to my children? And that fear kind of paralyzes me. Sometimes when I'm passing through a moment, my mother was the one I could just call like, ah, let me just tell her to pray for me. And uh, for a long time, it felt like um, a routine. Like, ah, mama, tomorrow I'm going for an interview. Pray for me. It's so like, oh, it's okay. I'll pray for you. But just, um, oh, should I say, last month, I went for an interview. I came back home and I cried. I cried because 
I didn't have anyone to tell pray for me and uh, it felt empty. Mm, when people say, you know, your mother is gone, I'm also your mother, it's different. It's different. I couldn't call anyone. Yeah, the interview went on well. <laughs> it went on, I think, really well, but I think those are the moments that paralyzes me. When people say, you're very strong. <laughs> when people tell me, Zippy, you're very strong, I look at them like, huh? Inside my heart, I like you don't know. <laughs> you don't know. You just don't know. Because uh, the people who see me cry like every day, not really every day, but every other day, my children, my boyfriend, my house help. And nowadays, I tell them it's because I just can't help it. I have no reason for crying. Trust me, I have no reason for crying. Like. My little daughter, she was turning five in December. She just said, because you miss your mother. And uh, yeah, and they all understand and they hug me and we are fine, you know. And uh, the other day <laughs> she told us, so, uh, you know, mommy, you will also die. And we said, yeah, one day we will all die. She's like, no, no, no. You will die first. Then is when we die. I was like, yeah, but not now. Now we will still be there together as family. And because to her, it felt like the older ones die first and then we went to the national archives uh not national archives the macmillan library the one behind jumia she refused to stand to take a photo outside the library she said this is where dead people go <laughs> <laughs> i know it looks like like those goofy locations of movies <laughs> but it was like god like it's so so much in her mind because during the funeral my sister my daughter, the very young one, she insisted she, want, she insisted she wants to see my mother in the coffin. And we put her to see the mother in the coffin. But just before they closed, she said, Mama, I want to see Mama again. We all used to call her because everybody used to call her Mama, so they never used to call her Danny. And I told the priest to wait. My daughter wants to see her grandmother first. That girl looked. I think, I don't know whether it was for one full minute or how I many, it felt like forever. Until everybody was like, okay. Like, we close on to wait. She said, wait. And she looked and looked. And then she said, it's okay, you can now close. For me, it was hard. Because I was like, okay. I didn't understand. In my mind, I'm like, what is a four-year-old mourning? But I thank God we did that because it gave her closure. She understands that mama is gone. Mama will not come back again. And she had her own journey of crying. But then I look at all of us, me, my brothers and sisters, and I realize mourning is different for everyone. And no one can understand. Let no one ever tell anyone who's mourning to be strong. You can't be strong when your mother dies. You can't be strong when your friend dies. You can't be strong when your child dies. It is a moment of weakness that everybody understands. I mean, even Jesus wept when Lazarus died. So who are we to be strong? So <laughs> it is hard talking about my mom. And... Uh, this is the first time I think I'm, I'm able even to talk about her for like all these minutes. As a firstborn, it is hard. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> when, when people say a life well lived, I think she lived a life well lived. At least for me and one of my sisters, we feel her voice so clearly like <laughs> when we talk. It's like she has just told us something. And I think I love those moments and revelations. And uh, it's like 
I mourn her and she's the same one who calms me down. I am looking at it like after losing my child, I took almost eight years money. I don't know how long I'll take this one, but each day is a journey. It is a journey and I'm learning from her past. I'm learning from her funeral and I'm learning just to be her daughter in a different way. But we'll make it because she was Dorcas. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, and she was called Dorcas Anyango. Yeah. Catch more African stories in the next episode of Legally Clueless. I hope you could tell how infectious and just beautiful Zippy's energy is. It is just out of this world. And I love how she weaves between tears and laughter, which really does describe the grief journey. Like at least for me, I can identify with that because one minute you're laughing at a particular memory and then the next minute you're in tears because of a memory, you know? Her story just reminded me like how difficult grief is to navigate and how different it is even between siblings. So you could have all grown up in the same house with this parent of yours, but you each had a different relationship with the parent, which means your grief is going to be very different. So even as a family, you can collectively support each other, but you can never fully understand each other's grief, you know, which I think I probably only got to understand that fully this year um and if you want to watch her give a condensed version of this story you can catch her on our video series she's in season two head over to legally cluelessafrica.com if you have listened to this episode and you want to share your story on this podcast fill out the form there's a link in the show notes to it and we will get back to you remember to catch this podcast on trace fm here in kenya we are there every Monday and Wednesday at 1 p.m. and 11 p.m. and Fridays at 1 p.m. If you go to traceradio.co.ke, you can stream Trace there or you can download their app, which makes listening even easier. And wherever you are in Kenya, once you're on that website of theirs, you can see their various frequencies. So you can tune in from every corner of this country. Thank you so much for listening to this episode to the very end. I truly do appreciate you and I'm wishing you a week drenched. <laughs> As usual, drenched in grace. That's it for this episode of Legally Clueless. You can share this podcast with your friends. You can keep it for yourself. I'm not judging. Just make sure you're here next week for the next episode. <laughs>